And I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord today. I, it, it was hard for me to sleep last night, believe it or not. I was ready to come to church. Uh, it's Christmas, and we want to worship a risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. Great songs this morning. I'm with you, Matt. Hey, if it's, it's good, just sing it again. I mean, it was wonderful. Of course, I, I feel a little more vibrant this morning. Uh, I was in the company of a lot of young people uh, this morning uh, as we kicked off the uh, kind of a restart of our uh, singles ministry. And uh, we had 11 in there this morning. And of course, Miss Jenny Simon roll cake is not a bad motivation to come. But uh, we were very excited about that. If you are in that age range, uh, single, uh, college, working, whatever, we meet upstairs uh, in the old building at the very end of the hallway. So just go to the end. Go up the steps and go all the way to the end and uh, follow your nose, walk past all the kids' cookies, the table there, it was hard to get by that, but we're at the end and we had a great time this morning and very excited about the future of that ministry. We prayed a lot for that. And uh, we're looking forward to great, great things from that ministry. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I, uh, 25 years I've been pastoring as a senior pastor. And I was talking to a good friend of mine this week, and I said, you know, Christmas is both the easiest and hardest message of the year to preach. Uh, because we are creatures of this earth, and we want new, and we want fresh, and we want new perspectives. And listen, everything about Christmas has been preached but that's all right. It's new every day, just as his mercies. And we need not look for a new angle or, or some kind of new material, but we just need to know more of the old story. And we need to, to grasp what Christmas really is and what it should be to us. You know, uh, I was telling you about the class this morning. I I was sitting there yesterday and I had notes for today's message and I had notes for this morning's Sunday school uh, class and I had notes for uh, tonight's uh, Lord's Supper and uh, all different kinds of things going through my head and so I don't overlap them and I'm sure I won't do a very good job of that, but that's okay. Uh, but I was, I was nervously excited about this morning in the Sunday school class and preaching the message and, and then uh, thinking about everything to do this week and uh, tomorrow's Christmas Eve and Christmas Sun, uh, Tuesday and where's that present I need to wrap? Where did I put that? And, and did I get everything that I need to get? And do we, do we have everything in order? Do you ever feel like that? I mean, think of all that you put into planning for Christmas. Think about it. Decorations, digging them out of the attic and out of the storage and knocking everything off and 
getting out ornaments and stringing lights and uh, setting up uh, Christmas parties and doing big productions for children's ministries and all the other things, presents and parties and trips, coordinating presents, exchanges and meals and all the result of very detailed planning. Now, imagine all the preparation that God did to arrange Christmas. We get it all ready for that one day. We were talking in our class this morning about some of the things that uh, we love the most about Christmas, the peripheral things. And several of us said, we like Christmas music. And those who are not right with God said, we don't. And I said, man, Christmas, we love Christmas music. But how many days past Christmas do we listen to it? Not very long. I mean, listen, I love it. I'll turn it on the, Chris, the channel that's playing all Christmas music. And, and I get to hear uh, uh, Christmas time's coming. And, and I get to hear Blue Christmas. And I can hear Frank Sinatra and, and, and Mariah Carey on the same, same channel. And I can hear old songs and new songs. But come December 26, I'm ready to turn the channel. Christmas is done, we burn the boxes, we listen to the other stuff. But the thing about Christmas is the story should resound in our lives every day and at all time, no matter what the day says on the calendar. And so this morning, I simply want to look at the old story at Christmas time. The sovereignty of God throughout all ages and uh, uh, from, from eternity chose this time for His Son. Look with me, if you will. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This tax was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. More than seven centuries before the birth of Christ. More than seven centuries before Jesus would be born. The prophet Micah wrote, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting Micah 5.2 is so appropriate as we look at the fact that the bread of life from John 6 was to be born in the house of bread. This morning we first see the time would come. The time would come, God's word and all of creation would declare the fact that God would send his son. The time would come. uh, Micah wrote it, Isaiah wrote it, David wrote it. From Genesis, God told him that he would come. Galatians 4.4 says, In the fullness of time, 
God sent forth his son. Aren't you glad that nothing surprises God? Now think about that. You ever put a watch on and you're following that watch because we're all slaves to time? Whether it's a watch or whether it's on a phone or something. We make appointments, we do all this, you know, and the doctors and the dentist and everyone else, uh, they, they call us to remind us, hey, your appointment is at this time. Maybe we ought to start doing that at church. Just send out a reminder, give little cards each Sunday saying we're going to have Sunday school at 9.15. Uh, your appointment is next Sunday morning. Laugh. Uh, the time would come, God said. He had wrote it down, told throughout prophecy how he had prepared the world. We see right here in chapter 2, 1 through 4. All of this didn't happen by just happenstance. I'm going to tell you something. There is no karma There is no luck. There is no coincidence. When we believe in a sovereign God, nothing happens by chance. God doesn't just shake up the dice and throw them out through eternity and see what pops up. God is in control. And may I draw it down to be very exact. God's in control of your life, whether you want him to be or not. God's in control. The right time, the right place, God will do things. Here, God had prophesied from 700 years before through Micah that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And why? Out of all times, it would. Can you, this, this would be us. Out of all the times that I have to go to Bethlehem, my girlfriend's pregnant. God has told me that she didn't cheat on me. And I believe God, but God, you know, really, out of all time, now I've got to go down to Bethlehem. I mean, I've got a baby. It's not even mine. I'm going to have to pay for her. I'm going to have to pay taxes. I'm going to do all this. God drew it all together. I'm going to tell you, all of us, all of us, somewhere in our life, and maybe today, are in a situation we're thinking, God, this could not happen at a worse time. It's Christmas, it's this, it's this. But I'm going to tell you, you're not here by mistake this morning. Some of you are here because you love your family members. They encourage you to come at the holidays. You're here, just you're at, in town. But I'm going to tell you, it's not a mistake you're here today. You think, well, I, I'm in control. I make my own decisions. Keep telling yourself that. And then when you get really sick and you get at the point of death, say, I'm going to keep living and see how long that works. We do not make choices outside God's freedom to allow us to make those choices. God prepared the world. Think about this. It's called the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana meant that during the Roman Empire, there was a relative peace throughout the modern culture of the day. The Roman Empire had brought in and brought so many together that there couldn't be too much war because it was all under Caesar's rule and reign. What did that mean? It was relative peace. They developed what we know today as the Roman roads. How we developed our own road system. They connected 
they literally transformed isolated villages out throughout the countryside. There was called the King's Highway that would travel back and forth from, from the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem and all other places. It, you know, now Americans are getting this European idea of roundabouts. We're now doing roundabouts. And everything goes back and they, they developed aqueducts to be able to carry water into places that never could have had water. I mean, it was unbelievable the things that was happening under this time. The Hellenization of the Roman Empire where everyone was speaking a world language and great things were happening. Listen, God was preparing the world for such a time as this because it all added up to mean that the fame of Jesus and the written accounts of his gospel would proliferate. This was a time that, listen, God had ordained so that Jesus' reality would be broadcast throughout the world. Whether it was wise men coming or shepherds or whoever it was, there was a personal, prophetical and geopolitical reason why it was at this point in this city in human history that God chose to send His Son. God prepared the world for Him to come. All of that for Jesus. We throw Jesus around so flippantly. Jesus this and Jesus that. But we need to remember who Jesus is. That God's own son left eternity. He came, made lower than the angels, that he may dwell among men and live without sin. Listen, God prepared the world for the coming of his son. But then God prepared a woman. God didn't just prepare a woman. God prepared the woman. Let's go back to that whole thing about Joseph. Joseph was much perplexed, wasn't he? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And why, not, why even bother? Man, I've tried to love her, tried to take care of her. Now she's pregnant. What? And then God comes and speaks and said, Joseph, it's all right. You see, not only has she not cheated on you, but I have chose her because of, uh, of her being a virtuous woman. I have chosen her in her purity. Though born a sinner, she has protected and kept herself unto me. And therefore, she is going to give birth to a child. And you're going to call him Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. God prepared the woman. I want to tell you something. The virgin birth is foundational truth for our faith. You cannot have Christianity without Christ. And you cannot have Christ without the virgin birth. Now hear me today. Mary was a virtuous woman. Mary was chosen among all women to be the woman to give birth to the Son of God. But it didn't end there. Jesus had brothers, didn't he? What was her name? Remember a name? Just throw me a name. James, who else? Jude. So he had brothers, right? And there is a doctrine that has been floated for several hundred years of what is called the Immaculate Conception. And it literally 
intimates that Mary was born without original sin. And in so doing, she could give birth to Jesus. I'm here to tell you something. The whole aspect of the virgin birth went against everything that nature says because God created nature. God is over it. God is beyond anything you could ever imagine, say or think. And if you think you're so pompous and arrogant that you have figured out there is not a God, I'm here to tell you you're living in the biggest lie and denial of truth there's ever been. All you got to do is sit down and look at the logic. If you've got a watch on, take it off. And if you dare take that watch, turn it over and open and take the back out of it. And you'll see the front of it is keeping time, but you'll see all these little intricate things. And before I finish preaching, I want you to take it all out, throw it on the floor, and then see if it'll all come back together without you even doing anything with it. I want you to call me this week and let me know when you can show me you can create a tree. Or give birth by yourself. You see, where there's a design, there's a designer. Somebody designed this watch. Someone not just put it together, but they designed it. It is mathematically escapable for us to think that happenstance could happen to where there was just a big bang and boom, there it all was. And that we evolved somehow. I'm here to tell you that God created. And in that creation, man messed it up. And Mary was born in that creation. And though not born without original sin, Mary did not have to be sinless to give birth to a sinless Savior because God overshadowed her. It was the incorruptible seed of God. God prepared that woman, but she did not stay that way. She ended up married, and she knew her husband and had other children, or Jude would be a Messiah, and James would be a Messiah, and Jesus would be a Messiah, but only Jesus is, right? God prepared the woman, it said in verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Listen, the first church council at Nicaea in 325 affirmed that Jesus was of the same substance as the Father, begotten, not created. It, it was the original Nicene Creed that refuted this whole idea of Arianism. That he was not the same as God. In 381, the second church council refuted Apollinarianism by coming together and affirming that Jesus had a human body, a human mind, and a soul. He was 100% God, 100% man, what we know as the hypostatic union. Meaning Christ is fully and completely God and yet fully human, which could only happen through the virgin birth. I'm going to tell you something. That sets all the cults and all the world religions apart from true Christianity. Jesus was born of a virgin. The time would come. God 
prepared the world. God prepared the woman, but God also prepared the way. Look at verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. That's important. She, it doesn't say, and she brought forth the son. It says that she brought forth her firstborn son, what we just talked about. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, at first glance, we talk about this all the time. I looked over there for the manger. I looked for the stable and it, it's gone. At first glance, you'd think that having no hotel reservations, I mean, listen, it, it didn't have to be a Ritz-Carlton, but I mean, couldn't we at least get a Motel 6? I mean, they leave the light on. And yet, it was, it was all full. No reservations was a result of poor planning. I mean, come on, Joseph, I know it's not the best of situations, but you know the tax is coming, right? You ever had that conversation with a spouse? You knew this was coming. Why did we not do this? And everybody's pointing fingers. We don't think about it, but it was divine planning. It was divine planning that there would not be a room. Because listen, even the lowly birth in a barn was planned. After all, think about this. We often look down on it, but where else could one expect the Lamb of God to be born? Are lambs born in hotel rooms? They're born in barns. And the Lamb of God would be no different. After all, God was preparing the way for our salvation through the Lamb of God. What did John say? Behold the Lamb of God. God prepared all of mankind with a way out of sin, death, punishment, and fear. And the only way... That only way is Jesus Christ. He tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Ultimately, that's what all God's planning led up to. The birth of the Savior. Listen, it's, it's a way of delight. It's a way of delight. He said in verse 10, and the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I'll bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I love Christmas. I love Christmas move, uh, movies. I love Christmas music. I love Christmas food. There's certain things. Why do we not eat it any other time of the year? But we don't. There's just some things that's so good they're reserved just for this week. But it's wonderful. God, listen, preparing a way, a way of delight. We can rejoice, church. I love it. People was, we were worshiping this morning in music. I hope you worship with your ties. And you worship as we pray and repent and seek and learn and preach this morning. That we understand God and His Son convicting and convincing through the Holy Spirit. It's a way of delight. There is no life like a life lived for Jesus. We look back over martyrs. We look back over missionaries who had sold it all, gave it all away. 
We've seen poor Christians in our life that were the most faithful, praying, God-loving Christians we've ever met. They didn't have anything to their name on this world, but you know what? They understood something. They understood the way of delight. They understood the good tidings of great joy because somewhere along their life's journey, someone told them about Jesus, brought them that good tidings. And great joy overwhelmed them through repentance and through Jesus coming into their life and saving them. It was a way of delight, but also of deliverance. He said in verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A rock star? A beauty queen or beauty king? Unto you is born this day one who will rid you from the Roman reign of terror. There is one who will come and set free the Jewish people today. No. There's one born unto you this day in the city of David. A Savior. A Savior. Listen. God prepared the way of deliverance through his son, Jesus Christ. I've said it a thousand times and I'll continue to say he is the only way. There is no other way. You may continually search for another way. You may say, I'm really good and I'm going to join this group and I'm going to do this and we're at that point of New Year's resolutions and I'm going to be better and I'm going to go to church. You can't go to church enough to be saved. We could literally keep fresh water in the baptistry and run everybody through it every Sunday and not be enough to get you saved. You can, you can christen babies. You can uh, buy them Bibles. You can send them to the best camps and teach them all kinds of things. But it, until they come to a point of realization and a point of understanding and they cry out, Jesus save me, they cannot know him. God prepared a way of deliverance. Ultimately, that is what all God's planning led up to. Every bit of it. This time. This time that would come. The birth of a Savior. The nativity of Jesus was not the result of some cosmic accident. Nor was it the blending of old pagan feast into some new holiday. Rather, it is the result of God's sovereign plan for humanity. God is in control. But not only would the time come, the time came. The time came and Jesus was born. And we see it in the fact that God made sure that the world would hear about it. He said in verse 8 that there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And we know that the angel of the Lord came to them and they were very, very afraid. And the angel said, do not fear for I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And here is the sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And listen, all of a sudden it crescendoed. And all the lights come on in heaven. And everything came together. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, 
peace, goodwill toward men. God made sure the world would hear about the nativity. First of all, by the angels. I mean, he rocked their world. I mean, they're just minding their own business out on the backside of the farm. I mean, it's nighttime. I don't know what the weather was like then. I've been over there when it snowed in Israel. Walked into Jerusalem like, somebody burning something? Ash? No, it was snowing. Snowing in Jerusalem. I don't know if it was cold that night. I have, I have no idea. But what I do know is whatever was going on took a back seat when the angels came. And all of heaven's glory broadcast the greatest news ever told. And this time came and was witnessed by the angels. And the angels told the world who he was. It was witnessed by the shepherd. The time came and the shepherd saw and it came to pass as the angels were going away in verse 15 from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, hey guys, that's something, huh? Dude, can you believe what we just saw? Man, let's don't tell anybody. Let's just keep it all to ourselves. No. It says, as the angels left, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. The time came. I want you to understand something. You can take the Bible. If you're an agnostic, you're an atheist, take the Bible, throw it away. And if you're a learned person, you like to read, and you believe in science, and you believe in all these other things, I challenge you to take it away and just go through the basis of historical documentation. Just historical documentation. And read secular historians of the day. Go back and read Josephus. If you need a copy, I've got a copy of it in my office. Uh, and, and you need to look over and see how many eyewitnesses there were to the birth, the life, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. There's more evidence of the reality of God coming to this earth as the Son, being born of a virgin, living without sin, dying on the cross, resurrecting from the grave. There's more historical data and eyewitnesses than there were for the JFK assassination. There are more historical documents than if then that Jesus is real than Nero was in his greatest of days. Listen, the time came and was witnessed by the angels. It was witnessed by the shepherd. But look in verse 18. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. It's now witnessed by us. We read what the shepherds tell us. We read what the Gospels tells us. We share it with our children. We know the truth. And the truth sets us free. The time came. 
Think all of that preparing. Abraham, go, go, Abraham, Abram, get out of this country and go somewhere else. I'll make you a great nation. Abrahamic covenant. And then Isaac, and going through the whole uh, spurious sacrifice there. And then Jacob, and wrestling with an angel, and 12 tribes, and bondage, and forgetting Joseph, and going into the promised land and over and over and over and the Davidic covenant and so many other things. And then one day, after Isaiah had prophesied and Micah had prophesied and Daniel had prophesied and all the writings of the old covenant had ceased and God had been silent for 400 years. The angel spoke, and Jesus was born. It's Christmas time. You know, I thought of the old song, Christmas time's coming, Christmas time. You know, y'all know that song. And then I thought, it's Christmas time. And I, I'm just going to have to do it in the Elvis. It's Christmas time, pretty baby, and the snow is falling down. You see, for, for ages, Christmas time was coming. But then all of a sudden, it's Christmas time. Oh, pretty baby, it's Christmas time. The babe has been born. But as we look at that, we see that not only was the time to come, the time came, but time confronted some things. In the birth of Jesus, the world received its Savior. Fallen mankind now had eternal hope. That fact changed lives and caused joy. Joy unspeakable in the hearts of believers. You see, there is a theme to the aftermath of Christmas. You know, we talked about get up on December 26th and all you want to do is throw all the trash away, burn the boxes, get to my mother. Listen, she can take down a Christmas tree faster than she can put one up. She loves for it to go up, but she really loves for it when it comes down. I mean, she does not want the sun to get old on December 26th before it's all down and back to normal. Any of y'all like that? I mean, get it down, get it gone, get it cleaned up. Let's go on. It's not Christmas Day anymore. When Jesus came in this time, it confronted some things. The fact that things would never remain the same. First of all, in verse 10, once again, the, the, angel, the angels came and the shepherds were sore afraid. Some of us are living with the fear. We talked about this in Sunday school. It's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of change. It's just the fear of fear. Well, we even have names for every kind of phobia there is in the world. And we're scared of elevators, we're scared of the dark, and we're scared of germs, and we're scared of being scared. But the truth is, Jesus has come to shine light into all of our lives so that fear can be removed. God removes it. It's the unknown. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know how we're going to die. We don't know any of this stuff. I shared with the class this morning that when I had the opportunity to go back uh, to do a wedding a couple months ago, 
uh, in Alabama. It was a very joyous time. A young man that I'd spent a lot of time coached in football and led to the Lord, got, him, got his family. I didn't get his, but I encouraged them to get in church. And I, they were, I was honored that they asked me to come back and do his wedding. And so we did it and didn't have much time, but I wanted to go make a couple of visits. And the first visit I made is to probably one of the most godly women I've ever known in my entire life, Miss Ina Garner. Miss Ina Garner was a widow and had been for many, many years. Her husband's in the Alabama Coaches Hall of Fame basketball coach, won state championships and everything else. He was, they still talked about him decades uh, later when I was there. They talked about him every day around that school. His name is everywhere and printed on everything. But she was known as just as good a teacher as he was basketball player. She had spent her whole life teaching. She had an earned doctorate degree. Matter of fact, when I had been pastoring there long enough that she felt comfortable, she talked like this. She said, now, now, Brother Matt, very polite, very proper. She said, now, Brother Matt, I want to give you something if you promise me you'll not be offended. And I'm like, I like gifts. I, I think I can over, yes, yes, Miss Anna, I promise. You'll completely get this and you'll love her when I tell you what she gave me. I said, she said, you, you, you've got to promise me. And she took me by, you've got to promise me that you will not get mad. I said, no, Miss Anna, I promise you I won't get mad. She said, well, I got you a little book. I said, I love books. She said, you may not love this one. And I said, oh, yes, I'll love it. And I turned it over, and this is the title. Easy for you to say. A book on how to pronounce biblical names and places. She says, you struggle sometimes with those things. And in my humility, I said, yes, Miss Ina, I sure do. It still sits right behind my head in my office, right beside my computer, and I use it all the time. She helped edit my doctoral dissertation. She would proofread, and we would share, and, and we would, uh, I knew she had more books than I did, and I'd say, Miss Ina, I need to borrow some of your books on the commentaries on this section. And I went in October, and I, still just as I did years ago, I'd sit there and talk with her, and I said, boy, I, that's a lot of books, Miss Ina. So you remember your promise to me? Yes, I remember. She said, speaking of that, she said, you know, my days on this earth are not long. She said, will you come do my funeral? I said, Miss Ina, I'll do my best. I would do my best if I could. I said, I promise you, I'll try. That's all I can promise you. I talked to her, her nephew, one of my dear friends and former deacon there in Alabama. And he called me Friday night, and I saw his name come up on my phone, and my stomach knotted up, and I knew what it was. And he said, I, I just want to call and tell you, you know when you came and visited Miss Ina? And I said, yeah. He said, that was the best day she'd had in months. You hit it at the right time. He said, and from that point on, it's just been a slow, slow process. He said, and I just wanted to call and let you know first that she went home to be with her husband and with the Lord about 30 minutes ago. That was Friday night. 
And I was sad thinking about, but Miss Ina was 91 years old. She never had children. She lived at home for many, many years by herself. She taught her Sunday school class until she was about 86 or 87 years old. And out teach everybody in this room every day. Loved Jesus, loved her preacher, and loved the lost. She's in glory today. And I had to say, Brother Jim, I can't come. There's no possible way I can leave the flock and come to it. It broke my heart. I do not have regrets. It'll be handled. And the one thing I know Miss Ina would say, Brother Matt, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to be there anyway. You see, God removes fear of that unknown of death. I didn't know when I saw her two months ago she wouldn't be here by Christmas. She didn't know that. But the Lord did. And the Lord's in control of our lives. We don't know what 2019 will hold. Hey, maybe Jesus comes back. We need to understand the, the, the fear of the known. We know judgment's coming. We know sickness and separation and, and failure and heartache's coming. But we know weepeth endureth for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And joy is spelled J-E-S-U-S. Time confronted means refocusing on the glory and goodness and greatness of God. We need to get back to seeing Him in all of His splendor. splendor in all, hey, as great as those angels were, it wasn't about the angels. As wonderful as we dress up like shepherds and wise men, bringing gifts, it wasn't about them. As wonderful as Mary was, it wasn't about her. It's about Jesus. It's still about Jesus. And when we get a glimpse of that, His glory and His splendor, His goodness and greatness, it will burst forth in our hearts just as the angels did in heaven. Never has mankind lived in a more narcissistic age. Life's all about us, what I want, what I think, what time it. Uh, it is what seems right to me. So naturally we tend to dwell on ourselves, our problems, and our frustrations. The nativity, Christmas, was meant to get our minds off of ourselves and on to the Savior. And listen, it brings a rejoicing from our heart. Look in verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had both heard and seen as it was told unto them. Listen, I want to challenge you this morning as the direct result of Christmas. Our fears are relieved and in fact, God has replaced fear with faith, hope, and joy. The only way it's experienced is through coming to Jesus. As they come to the instruments this morning, I want you to think about it with me again. God carefully planned out that first Christmas 
and every day that would follow. He also has plans for you. He's no longer that babe. Listen to me now. Don't check out yet. He's no longer that babe lying in a manger. We need to realize he is alive and seated at God's right hand. Christians, we are God's publicity team. There are no angels proclaiming the goodness of God. It's up to us. I want to challenge you to speak of him to someone unchurched this week. Christmas celebration will be over by Wednesday for most of us. However, in its aftermath, I pray that we fear that our fear would be dispelled by His presence. That hope and joy would flood our souls through faith in Him and Him alone. It's Christmas time, church. What will you do about it? When the dawn breaks on Christmas in our lives, it'll be the greatest day we've ever experienced. But may I tell you, the clock is ticking. Will you allow Christmas time to break forth in your life? Experience the fullness of who Jesus is. It may change your life. Let's stand. Come to Him. It's about Christmas, not about us. It's all about Him. Come to Jesus this morning.